0: Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. In this episode, we hear the music from Heart Beeps, made in 1981. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. We've discussed two of John Williams' most popular scores in the previous two episodes, The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And almost right after those, he would give us the gift that is ET the extraterrestrial. But nestled in between those landmark scores was another John Williams composition, this one for a film about two robots that fall in love. No, this was not a spin off of the Star Wars series, but rather a very expensive flop named Heartbeeps. Now, raise your hand if you have heard of this film. Well, of course, I can't see you, but I would imagine very few of you raised your hand. And if I asked you to raise your hand if you have not seen the film but know about the score, I would bet that even fewer would comply. Partly because the film flopped, and partly because it did not fit with the big orchestral scores of that time frame, the music to Heartbeeps did not get a commercial release when the film came out in 1981. Only in 2001 did the score get the chance to be heard away from the film, thanks to a limited edition CD release by Veris A. I was lucky to get one of the 3,000 copies of the soundtrack, and it still sits in my CD library. As a film, I think Heartbeats is not a complete disaster. It has some charms about it, most of them helped greatly by John Williams's music. I hope by the end of this episode you will be compelled to seek out the film and watch it, or at the very least, find the full score and give it a listen. I watched Heartbeats for the first time just before receiving the CD of the score in 2001, and I managed to catch it on TV back in 2010. And then I watched it in preparation for this episode, and all three times, I never found watching the film to be a waste of time. The main problem with the film, I think, is that it's a bit too simple, and at the same time, a bit too overdone. The film runs just 77 minutes, which makes me think that it would have worked better as a made-for-television movie. The script tries to cram a lot of subplots in those 77 minutes, leaving out some crucial character development that might have helped the movie. The director, Alan Arkush, had spent his early years in Hollywood in Roger Corman's B-movie studio factory before directing the absolutely terrible film Rock and Roll High School in 1979. If you haven't seen it, you can find a couple of clips online, including one featuring girls in a gym class singing the theme song and oddly not wearing bras under their gym clothes. I'm surprised anyone at Universal thought Arkush would be just fine for heartbeeps, which the studio was banking on being a big hit. The film was produced by Michael Phillips, who had three big hits in a row in the 1970s, The Sting, Taxi Driver, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He worked on those films with his wife, Julia, who was dealing with drug addiction around the time of Close Encounters. Though Michael and Julia Phillips divorced in 1975, it seems like Julia's drug problem bled over into Michael's ability to get movies made. He stepped away from Hollywood for a few years, though I couldn't uncover exactly what he did from 1977 to 1980 when heartbeats fell into his lap. I'm sure Michael Phillips realized this was not going to be anything as good as his previous three hits, but at least he still seemed to have some power in Hollywood, calling on some of the top behind-the-scenes people to work on the movie. That included Stan Winston, who was one of the top makeup artists at the time, and was hired to make Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters look like robots. To me, Winston's work on Heartbeeps closely resembles the work he did making Nipsey Russell look like the Tin Man in The Wiz just three years earlier with more updated prosthetics work employed in Heartbeeps. John Williams was another person Michael Phillips had the good fortune to know well thanks to their collaboration on close encounters. After finishing his second summer season as conductor of the Boston Pops, Williams spent most of fall 1981 on Heartbeeps, recording the score over 4 days in November. And coming off the big orchestral spectacles of the Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, Working with about 70 musicians on Heartbeats was likely a welcome change. Those who know the score to Heartbeats know that it relies heavily on the use of synthesizers, and five musicians performed on either synthesizers or electronic keyboards during the four scoring sessions. At the time, electronic music remained popular in film scores, despite Williams' subtle attempts to reverse that trend. You'll remember that Giorgio Moroder's electronic score to Midnight Express beat out Superman for the original score Oscar, and that disco was still hanging on with constant radio play. Williams did use synthesizers in Family Plot and The Fury, and with a brief moment of electronic music overlaid into a bit of the Empire Strikes Back. Heartbeats was Williams' opportunity to try his hand at the trending musical flavor of the era, and based on what I hear in the music, he enjoyed taking on this subgenre. As we have encountered many times on this podcast, John Williams was never afraid to step outside the norm and work on a film that required a new approach to music composition. The score for Heartbeat sounds like music Jerry Goldsmith might have composed for this film, but the melodic signatures of John Williams are still very apparent. This was a one-time deal that showed why Williams could have been a master at electronic scoring, if that was his inclination. Williams set up the tone of the score with what sounds like an electric guitar plucking out a melody with synthesizer accompaniment as we see the Universal Pictures logo. When the actual film starts, the keyboards bring out a wonderfully playful melody as we see the employees of a robot manufacturing plant taking the robot Val, played by Kaufman, to storage after being labeled defective. The music takes a brief break as Val is placed next to another defective robot, a female named Aqua. The melody from earlier returns as the camera does extreme close-ups on Val's eyes as he checks out Aqua's features. We get brief hints at acoustic instrumentation here as the harp plucks away, and then the strings and woodwinds slowly make their entrance. Then we return to familiar John Williams territory with about a minute left in the opening credits as strings and horns introduce our love theme. Putting that love theme into acoustic instruments was a nice touch, and hints at the humanity buried in the circuitry of these two robots. But, not too long after, the synthesizers play the love theme as Val and Aqua notice a rainbow just outside the window. The rainbow is foreign to them, but they also recognize its beauty. To underscore that, Williams puts the love theme into the synthesizer. A beautiful melody that is now played to sound a little strange to our ears. PIANO mm. first real action scene of the movie has Williams going wild on the synthesizers as Val attempts to drive a truck. Of course he can't drive and the wild nature of the scene prompts Williams to give us what I call the adventure theme as they make their getaway. I love the flourish you hear at the beginning of this cue which might normally have been given to flutes or clarinets. Even at the factory, begin to realize the robots have escaped. We get a semi-authoritative statement in the cellos, basses, and oboes. Alright, so now let's talk about Crime Buster. This is a machine on wheels that believes it's the entire police force, with guns and a flamethrower at its disposal. He is at the factory getting repairs when he's accidentally powered on, and hears about the missing robots. It becomes his sworn duty to capture Val and Aqua, and we're introduced to the Crime Buster theme as he breaks out of the factory to start his mission. There isn't much harmonic variety in Crimebuster's theme. The pulse that plays first in the strings, then the synthesizers underneath the melody, keeps the music driving forward, touching a bit on the concept of the theme from Jaws without sounding too scary for the kids watching. I think it also feels like something John Williams would have composed for Darth Vader if the Star Wars series was a comedy. What's interesting about the score to Heartbeeps is that the Crime Buster theme is the only melody from the film to get a concert suite. A full-on three and a half minutes of that theme developed and expanded for our listening pleasure on the CD. So after crashing the van into the woods, Val and Aqua decide to make a new robot to help them carry spare parts on their journey. This new robot is kind of their son, named Phil, and I have always liked his theme. It wasn't until I really began examining the theme for this episode that I noticed it's the only theme in the film that is not played on synthesizers or keyboards. For those who have issue with the use of electronic music in this score, perhaps this cue will soften your stance. Every section of the orchestra, except the brass, gets some prominence in this piece. I love how Williams works the theme through the orchestra sections. He's done this before, of course, and I think it's one of his best techniques. There's kind of a love scene in Heartbeats as the robots take refuge in a cave at night. Val and Aqua begin to realize that they have feelings for each other, and this might be where most people find the film confusing. How could two robots that haven't shown much emotion about their surroundings suddenly profess their love for each other? I will give props to Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters though, they kind of sell the scene. And right there to elevate the visuals is John Williams who starts the scene with the love theme in the keyboards. Aqua is asked to check out Val's pleasure center to see if his confession of love is caused by faulty wiring. As she does so, the two embrace, and the strings come in with a bit of a chorus. this is amazing. For the third consecutive movie, John Williams has to write music for a coitus interruptus scene. Well, at least he handles it well musically. So there's a lot that goes on for the next 30 minutes or so. Crime Buster crashes a party where the fugitive robots are hiding. The robots later encounter a junkyard where they find everything they need except power packs. And the only place they can get those power packs is back at the factory. Crime Buster has followed the robots to the junkyard, and there's a great brief moment as his shadow envelops the robots. It's another synth-free cue that could have fit in just about any other action film, and does a lot in just a few seconds to add tension to the moment. The robots begin the journey back, but Val and Aqua realize they won't make it. Catskill sacrifices his half-full power pack and gives it to Phil. Catskill has one more joke before he powers down for good. That was a nice send-off for Catskill, but not as moving as what is about to come. Aqua loses power, and Val follows before the two can talk about their feelings. The love thing comes in just as Val's power runs out. And here's where John Williams shows a great talent for coloring in the spaces of his composition. The strings come in, and they aren't there to be noticed at first. But as the music goes along, the strings play on our emotions with some sorrowful chords as the factory workers come to pick up the deactivated robots, carelessly throwing them into the truck. And when Phil turns away and rolls off into the woods, the strings play a sustained note about an octave higher than they had been playing. It's a beautiful ending to actually a very sad scene. This is one of those musical moments that is greatly enhanced when you add in the visuals. We find out that Val and Aqua kept malfunctioning after their return to the factory. So they were tossed as junk and revived with new parts by two humans and given their happy ending at the junkyard. The fade-out shot after the shot of Val and Aqua tending to Phil and his new sister Sophia is beautiful and should have ended the film. But no, we get Crime Buster back out on the case trying to find those robots because, as he says, Crime Buster always gets his man. And did we really need that? Why couldn't the filmmakers just send us off with a happy ending? I'm not going to play the crime buster theme that ends the film proper, but rather give you part of the end credits that reprises the opening credits music. So, as I said before, Heartbeats was a big flop, earning just $2 million at the box office from a $40 million budget. But pretty much everyone came away unscathed, except for Andy Kaufman. Heartbeats was his only movie, and he died in 1984. He was so embarrassed about the failure of the film that he appeared on Late Night with David Letterman in November 1982 to apologize.
1: For instance, I mean, even when when the critics in general even put me down, there are many times I agree with them. They've always been fair. For, they, example. Been, for example, when I made that movie Heartbeats, and I, it got terrible reviews, and I rightfully so, it. it was a terrible movie, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I was in it, and I and I just want to say about that is that I did not write it, direct it, produce it. I had nothing to do with it. I was hired to act in it, and because my name was up there, people think it was oh my movie. Well, I just want to say. To, the, to my fans, if there are any out there, that, that uh, I would like to personally apologize to each and every one of you for me being in that movie. And I mean, the, the people, now, the people who worked with me in the movie, the director, producer, the writer, they were all very wonderful people. It just didn't come out right. The movie just did not come out right. And, and uh, I want to apologize to all of you who saw my name and you went there because you wanted to see me in a movie and you were very disappointed. And it's the truth of the matter is I am right now working with my lawyer on a plan I would love to be able to personally give back the money that all of you paid <laughs> for your admission price. And I am right now working on a plan where I can legally do that out of my pocket. Refund everybody's
0: admission price. Back.
2: Well, make, make sure you have change for a 20. <laughs> this um, is tr-
0: Bernadette Peters had a successful movie out earlier in the year called Pennies from Heaven. And she won the Golden Globe for her performance. And if you know anything about Bernadette Peters, you know that she continued to have a great career, starring in the film musical version of Annie in 1982 and winning Tony Awards in 1985 and 1999. Alan Arkush continued to direct movies, including Caddyshack 2, but had a great future in TV after Heartbeeps. He directed episodes of such TV shows as Fame, St. Elsewhere, Moonlighting, Allie McBeal, and Crossing Jordan. He won an Emmy for directing the TV movie about the singing group The Temptations. Heartbeeps got a little bit of notoriety in spring 1982 when it was nominated in the inaugural makeup category at the Academy Awards. It was just one of two nominees, and the winner was Rick Baker's work on An American Werewolf in London. And of course, we know that John Williams did not suffer from his association with this film. It is sad that it was, for a very long time, the only score from his post-Star Wars resume that did not get a commercial release the same year as the film debut. But I sense since the CD came out, there has been a small but loyal group of devotees who give the score a positive grade. It seems like Christian Clemenson, the curator of FilmTracks.com, is not one of those people. A review he wrote of Heartbeats repeatedly trashed the use of electronics in the score but I think that's what helps the score. The use of the synthesizers throughout reminds us that although the main characters are seeking some sort of human-like existence, they are still machines on the inside. So again, I hope you will take the opportunity to listen to the full score of Heartbeeps and maybe even watch the film. It gave John Williams the opportunity to stretch his legs, as it were, After so many years of big, brash music to compose, a quieter score that does what it can to elevate the movie's faults. Perhaps Williams has always wanted to distance himself from the film, but I don't think it's as bad as his stuff from the early 1960s, for example. So now that Williams got that out of his system, he was ready to get back to what he does best. And boy, was his next score one for the ages. E.T., the extraterrestrial, kicks off year two of the baton, and I'm so excited about it. I'm looking forward to starting the second half of this podcast. And thanks to everybody who has been with me throughout this journey, especially those who have been here since the beginning in January 2019. And I hope you'll all stick around for what's to come. Until then, the baton is down.